Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 127 of The Yacking Show. This is a show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we find ourselves in, and it's certainly changing. And we have somebody who's uh, rode those changes as our guest today, but it's not my job to introduce guests. Kathleen does it better than I do. First, let me welcome co-host Kathleen Beauvais in Waterloo. How are you doing today on a somewhat dreary day looking out my window, Kathleen? <laughs> Same here, Peter, and uh, thanks for the intro, and thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments, so do please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another very special guest with us today. His name, he goes by the name of Hassani X, but you typically go by just X. X, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am wonderful. And thank you, Kathleen and Peter, for having me. I appreciate it. Now, you came from the streets in Oakland, California, to become the first in your family to become a college graduate. You are now CEO of Lead Your Story. You also have your own podcast called The Yellow the Chair. Yellow Chair. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tell us, uh, tell our audience a little bit about how you overcame being on the streets to become a college graduate and even starting companies. This is a yeah, really yeah. interesting story background. Yeah, you know, I, as, as you stated, I, you know, I'm from Oakland, California. So give you context, Oakland was a pretty tough place growing up in the 80s crime, poverty, drugs, the height of the crack era. And there were just a lot of things that um, a lot of my friends and family members came to. And I was fortunate enough to find a way out and, and go to school and, and, and attend an Ivy League school of all things and see this whole new perspective of what life could be like, right? There wasn't that it was better, it was different. And there were certain things that I learned in terms of how to tap into what it means to provide value to the marketplace and have it exchanged with you to the point where I graduated and started a business immediately. You know, no job to start a business called 4 Consulting and we were helping businesses to grow in Los Angeles. Everything is good, I'm married, have my first kid, life is good. My son is just being born and you know how life throws you a curveball, right? It's all good until it's not. And my, my mom, uh, you know, she rings and she's frantic. Asani, Asani, Asani. I'm like, like what? She's like, Asani, Asani, they killed him. And I was like, what are you talking about? They killed him, your brother, he got shot. He was murdered. And um, I was floored. And I, I went right back to our first converse, our last conversation with my brother and we were arguing and fighting because he was telling me that I wasn't the big brother that he needed. I wasn't there for him. And I said, that's, that's BS. Look, we grew up in the same place, same environment, same parents, same opportunities. You are where you are based upon what you did. Don't blame me. And I was adamant about it. I meant it. But it wasn't until I was giving his eulogy that I finally got what he was trying to say. He wasn't saying I wanted you to do it for me, but I wanted you to support me. In other words, he was looking for leadership. Catherine and Peter, I don't know if you, you uh, have ever been in a position where you come to this moment where you see things for the first time clearly and the pattern was there the whole time and it hits you in the face like a ton of bricks. That was that moment. I, I, I saw how I, 
was definitely afraid to lead anything. Despite having a 4.0 and being a stellar star athlete, be the captain of the team, nope, not me. Be student body president, nope, not me. I'll do my part. I'll take care of me, but I'm not leading anyone. I didn't want any parts of that. And I told my wife, I made a vow to never allow fear to govern my life. So that was the pivot point for me. I got out of the streets of Oakland, you know, through grace and grit, but the pivot to changing and transforming into the man I am today took place that day when I made that vow. Because in attacking my fears, I had to really work on myself. Mm -hmm. I had to really go deep and find out who I am and what I'm made of. And I started jumping out of airplanes to go over my fear of heights. I was scared to physical confrontation. I became a professional mixed martial artist and got into a cage and fought crazy stories there. I did everything I could to transform myself and overcome fear. And people started noticing, asking questions. Well, I see the transformation. What are you doing? My wife and our marriage improved. I became a better father, became more fit the whole nine. What are you doing to take care of your body? How are you taking care of this? And slowly but surely, I started giving people that advice. And I transitioned out of building businesses to building people as a leadership consultant, coach, and performance um, coach, not only for entrepreneurs, but for publicly traded companies. They're letting little Vasani X come in and tell these seasoned leaders and hundreds of staff members how to come together and build culture, camaraderie, and leadership. And uh, I did that for about a decade, and I had another kind of epiphany. I went back to my old days of building businesses and I was like, well, the things that work were always the same. Put together a communication strategy, position your value in the marketplace, tell stories to get people to believe, engage and buy in. And then I went to the leadership and performance space. I was like, wait a minute, it's the same exact thing. I can't get the most out of you until you are telling yourself an internal story and communicating with yourself in the right way. And you're there, you'll, you'll show up your best every time when you have an internal congruent story that empowers you. The same thing for leaders and teams and building mm -hmm. culture. And that was the genesis of Lead Your Story, where we're probably the only marketing agency, quote unquote, who delves into the realm of leadership, culture, and team by building a unifying brand story internally to run your culture and allowing you to project that internally for performance and you know, teamwork, but also helping you to push that to the market, this, this authentic, transparent, connected story about who you are, what you value, and why people should connect and uh, you know, choose you over your competitors. And you know, that's where I am today with, with Lead Your Story. Wow, that's, that's answered one of the questions I was going to ask you. I was really intrigued to find out why you moved from coaching businesses to coaching people. And, uh, but I see, I see the uh, commonality of what, of what you're saying there, that uh, it's all about leadership and, and story. So great. Oh, wow. That, that, that's very interesting. Certainly. Kathleen, you wanted to ask us only something. You say you have a unique take on leadership. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think like no other time in history, we're inundated with information. At the top of the show, uh, Peter was going over what this is about. In this changing world, mm -hmm. how do we find the things that allow us to adapt and, and become more effective? Well, if we look on our phones right now, like no time in history, we have more information that we can access right here than we ever had in the history of mankind. You and I can find information on anything and understand the X's and O's about how to execute, 
how to learn something, how to put something together. Basically, 99.9% of that is there for the taking. And what I recognize is that leadership is not about information. It's about transformation. It's about being able to access this information and turning it into an ethic that you live and embody. I've been around hundreds of great leaders and what they all have in common isn't their mastery of skills or their technical prowess or any of those things that we typically associate with being a great leader, basically knowledge and information. What they are awesome at is being a living embodiment of the ethic and ethos that they're trying to help their company live by. And that just gives them this credibility and this, this charm and charismatic kind of connection with people to where when I say, hey, I see this in you, I believe you can do better, this is what we're about, and people don't fight that because they see her living it. They see her struggling through it. They've shared their stories. They're not perfect. They're vulnerable, but at the same time showing degrees of strength. In other words, we call this living leadership, right? You got to live it. And yeah. that is foundational. Everything else, if not built on top of that, the cookie crumbles and every leadership initiative that I've been a part of and seen implemented fall short when that ground floor isn't taken care of. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Got to switch, switch direction a little bit. I noticed um, you call yourself a modern Stoic. So um, I, I follow Stoic principles myself. One of my morning reading books is, is called The Daily Stoic. In fact, you've probably seen it by Ryan Halliday and Stephen Hanselman. And it, it quotes um, Marcus Aurelius and a few others. So tell our listeners a little bit about, about what Stoicism is and why you consider yourself a modern Stoic. Yeah, great question. I, I, you know, when I talked about diving into my fears and, and really becoming not just self-aware of what's going on internally with me, but holding myself accountable to dealing with those issues and challenges. And I think when we think about the idea of stoicism, where we're basically trying to reduce things down to their essence mm -hmm. and understanding and connecting to their essence, we can see the truth. And now we're confronted with a very simple decision. Do we operate and live from this simple truth, which, which isn't complex. It's not a loud roaring thing. It is a simple, quiet whisper, but nonetheless poignant and dialed in and true every time. And I, I connect modern stoicism to, to the idea of embracing that truth and then trying to orient your life around it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I go through the daily meditations myself and I go through this process I call the RAW review, which helps me to do this on a daily basis. This is an acronym, R-A-W. My wife's a lieutenant colonel in the, uh, in the Army, and they have these after-action reviews. Um, and by the way, she's from Oakland, California, too, high school sweethearts, uh, so love her to death. Um, but they have the after-action reviews, and we went through that process, and she was telling me about it, and I turned it into what I call the RAW review. So after every action... I'll do it after this podcast. I'll do it after a client meeting. I'll do it after a training. I'll do it after anything where I know I want to be my best. I go through RAW. First, I recognize what went well, right? What was working, all the positives. Then the A is acknowledge areas that didn't live up to where I could be or how things weren't working the way I wanted them to. And then W is the work. What will I work on specifically to address an area of weakness and a double down the area of strength. Mm -hmm. 
this allows me to be grounded in truth more often than not and allows me to have a rapid feedback loop with everything I do in my life. And I'm able to improve dramatically, quickly by that process of constantly being under construction. You mentioned the yellow chair. Well, my colors are yellow and black and that basically signifies always under construction, yeah. never having arrived, always seeking to improve. I take myself so seriously, another stoic principle. I understand in the great grand scheme of things, I am but this, but if I hold this accountable, I can impact this, right? right? So yeah. Oh, good, thank you. Thank you for that. And, and doing impact, I've got to tell our viewers, one of your um, <clears throat> things on your website is you aiming to impact 100 million lives, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. what I read on yeah. your website? Yeah, very good. Yeah, 100 million lives. Um, I came by way of that. One of the things in, in my early days in working with leaders and teams is I recognized that oftentimes we were working in bigger companies and there just wasn't this direct way in which we can impact the entire company. But I recognized that if we can impact just 1% of an organization, I saw a pattern start to unfold. I looked at movements in the, in the past. I looked at movements in the present. There's a loud emotionally connected, serious 1% who can change the entirety of everything. Yep. And, you know, 1% of the world's population roughly is 7.9, uh, uh, 70, uh, uh, 70 million people, 80 million people. And by the time I'm all done, I think there'll be 10 billion. So I, I rounded on 1% to 100 okay. million. Yeah. Oh, good one. Right. All right. Back to you, Kathleen. So X, tell our audience why having a story and the willingness to share it helps a person live a happy and healthy life. Okay. Ah, there's so many angles. Let me, let me start with like one story is one of the most powerful ways in which we've adapted our capacity to communicate. We're hardwired to want to engage in stories. The brain, they've done neuroimaging studies on people's brain on story versus just regular everyday talk. Certain regions of the brain light up. And the theory is basically that as we sought to survive the dangers of the world, we listen to our fellow brothers and sisters with their stories of what they've been through. And then we were able to learn based upon their experience vicariously where to avoid the pitfalls and the challenges and the dangers in life. The brain is hardwired to want to avoid those pitfalls and create more opportunity for pleasure. So these stories give us the blueprint that allow us to function and allow us to adapt what we do, what we think and what we feel. No other species on the planet has that mechanism. When they're born, they come into the world and have to basically build from scratch every single thing that is part of their life. We get to build upon this collective story that embodies and empowers us. That's one story, we're hardwired for it. Number two, society and where we are in the modern age, story becomes the biggest differentiator. When we look at all endeavors, I say from now in the future, there will be two winners in the market. And even for those who aren't entrepreneurs or businesses, this still applies. Big businesses will win because they will trade on product and price and they will squeeze the margin and operate at scale. They'll sell millions of things and be super profitable, very hard to compete. Think Amazon. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have brands. 
people who don't trade on being the best product or the lowest price, but they trade on connecting deeply with people. So we open our wallets, we give them our time and resources because we believe in them. They create a feeling inside of us and we are loyal to that feeling as opposed to the facts, functions, and features of the thing. So when you think about your life, whether you're an entrepreneur, a coach, a teacher, whatever you are, if you haven't created a distinct brand or you can't scale to be big, you're in a very vulnerable position. The, mm -hmm. me the middle is being eroded, is being wiped out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where the greater majority of people are competing and it's harder and harder each day to eke out a living stuck in this middle space. So story becomes the most accessible tool that will allow anyone to stand out and be seen as different, desirable, and not a commodity, not a choice among many, but the choice because it resonates and connects because you and I, Kathleen, share a common bond through the, through the stories that I share, mm -hmm. which third point, not to overtalk this, story connects us because it showcases not only how to achieve that pleasure, but how we've overcome the pain, problems, and issues. So for example, a leader who shares that shows vulnerability, shows that they're not perfect, and now they become more relatable. They become more connected. I was this before. I understood how to arrive and succeed. Somebody listening to that say, I'm in that position. I want to do that too. I believe in you. I want to follow. Good. Very good. I, I go one few. I've read from many business writers and leaders that, and business consultants, um, <clears throat> culture trumps strategy in a business organization and any organization every time. Right? You can come mm -hmm. in with the best strategies in the world, but if the, if the culture resists it, you've got a problem. So, so do you agree with that, first of all? And, and if you do, how do you change it? Yeah. Hey, that is a great question, Peter. I, I absolutely 100% agree with that. And here's what I tell people culture is. If you break apart the word culture, you find it has two key words in it. One is cult. Yep. Right? When you have a culture, you have a cult. Meaning there is a energy and ethic and ethos that changes how people think, feel, and what they do. We're bonded by that. We are in a cult. So yep. If you're a leader and you want to build culture, you're building a cult. But the second part is harder to wrap your head around because you have to execute. The key word in culture is cultivation. You have to cultivate it. Right. The only thing that grows on its own wild and free are weeds. If you want to build a culture, you have to plant a purposeful seed, say an apple seed, and you have to cultivate that seed. You have to nurture it. You have to support it. You have to water it. And this is where leaders fall short they don't understand that in the early stage of culture building, it's the weakest, most vulnerable state of transformation and change. Just think about a plant. It hasn't taken root. It's, it, it needs your protection. It needs all these things. You have to nurture that baby until it can walk on its own. And this is why culture trumps strategy. Because right. when that apple tree finally delivers fruit, what's inside of each apple? Seeds. Another seed which when planted creates the same exact fruit. So now a leader can move away from trying to cultivate this thing. It becomes a self-perpetuating engine. And that's the power of culture. Right. But to get it moving, you have to 
show the members and leaders of the cult that there's some benefit to them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Unless, I, I give you an example. When I, I spent some of my life in the corporate world in, in middle to senior management, and it was a very male dominated. This is going back a long time. I'm an old guy. So, and, and it was in a different country, which was a very patriarchal society. And I had more women in my department than any other department. And, and I struggled to get them equal pay for the same job. It's just impossible. And, and that was what you were saying. This was the cult of it was dominated by accountants and engineers and marketing people they, like me, thought we were on a different planet. And, and that was virtually impossible to change. You know, we, yeah. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. No, uh, 100%. And I'll give some, you, some practical tools to mm -hmm. kind of jot down. I call it the five C's of culture. But beyond the five C's, their leadership's role is to create a vision. And in that vision you're projecting out into the future possibility, a desirable future position that people say, hey, I want that. I believe in that. But if again, if you're not a living, breathing embodiment and example of it, those words will fall short. So you have to be what I call triple X, an exemplary example of excellence in that space. Otherwise people will see it as rhetoric, pie in the sky dreaming. They have to believe that this vision you're painting you are the embodiment of someone they can believe in to help get them there. Because here's the misnomer. We don't want to be led by a hero. We want a leader who can help us to be a hero in our own story. Yes. And this is where the five C's of culture come in. There are five C's in terms of cultivating and creating that culture. The first is calibrating what excellence looks like. There shouldn't be any mistaking around what it looks like, where we're going, how we get there, what are the things that we need to do? What does success look like? We need to be very clear on that picture. So you have to calibrate excellence. That's the first C. The second one is you have to celebrate when each person or in the organization is marching toward this marker of excellence in every way possible. Mm -hmm. Celebrate the win, celebrate the win. So many of us want to wait until the end mm -hmm. to give the kudos, yeah. but people need fuel. So we need to celebrate it. The third is we need to commemorate when we've excelled and met the standard of excellence. This means it's written down. It's, it's an email, a newsletter, a, a plaque. The issue with building culture is that there will be invariably ups and downs just due to <coughs> business cycles, just due to what's going on. When you're in a down cycle and you haven't commemorated and, and put it in writing, you'll say, I suck or we suck. Yeah. But a leader can say, wait, 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 wait. You, you remember we did this? Look look at this, this board. We did this, we did this, we did this. And people go, whoa, wait a minute. We're, it's not that bad. We got what it takes to excel. So you got to not only celebrate it, but commemorate it. Because that becomes a living, breathing record, not only for those who are there, but for those that you bring into the organization. The fourth, the fourth C is you, you, you calibrate excellence, celebrate, commemorate, um, uh, is call to mind often. Mm. You have to call it to mind. Like, it's, repetition is a mother of skill. You can't have this big hoopla, visionary statement, big speech, and then storm off and say, oh, we did it. They know it. They get it. No. It's like a kid. I got three kids. You better say it every day 100 times. And it's not that people are kids. That's how the brain works. We got to hear it over and over and over. Right. <clears throat> and the last thing is condemn mediocrity. When you see mediocrity, when you see people falling short of the bar of excellence, you must condemn it. Kill the monster in the crib when it's a baby. 
Don't let it become full scale. Now it can infect the others, right? Mm -hmm. Spoiled apple ruins the bunch, all that good stuff. Condemn mediocrity right when you see it and recalibrate towards excellence. So that's the five C's that we, we help uh, leaders implement when we're working on leadership. Excellent. Uh, that's, that, that's really good. But the last one, quick one, um, condemn medi mediocrity is somewhat um, not politically correct, right? Uh, especially these days and age, especially yeah. today. Oh, my. <laughs> but you can't run an organization without. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree. Kathleen, back to you. So if you were, if you, if a company wants to connect with you, then X, can you walk us through the process you would take them through um, in helping them? Yeah, yeah. First, first and foremost, I, we don't have a kind of one size fits all approach. When I work with a company, um, it's, 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 it's diagnostic first. You know, we're looking to figure out what the actual problem is to make sure we're solving the right problem. I'll give you a quick story. We, we were working on a contract uh, with a medical company that was selling a very expensive product that if insurance didn't pay for, then the user was on the hook for paying for it. And these were like $50,000, $75,000 like tests. And the only people in the office were nurse practitioners. Well, the nurse practitioners aren't salesmen and they don't want to sell but they hired us to come in and come up with the communication strategy and sales training for these nurse practitioners. The nurses hated it. The owner's like, we got to do it. Let's bite her up her lip and make it happen. Well, that was going to be a very lucrative contract for us. But I said in our discovery session, I was like, wait a minute, why do you assume you have to sell it? Let me, tell me how you're presenting it. And they were presenting it in these phases, phase, they were presenting it as you do this loss leader and then you're upgraded into this thing that you're sold. And I was like, try this for a week. Just call it, a phased approach. Phase one, when, if you qualify, you go to phase two, which is this bigger, more expensive product. They tried it for a week. They went from a 5% close rate to almost 95% by just changing how they communicated what the product was. No selling. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by we don't have a prescriptive approach. We diagnose and, and work on strategy and figure out what's the best way to achieve either helping you to build that brand and connect with the audience or to help you connect more deeply with your people as a leader in a team, in a culture. Um, and from there, once we discover and create strategy, we then agree upon, you know, what's the investment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we not only help you develop the strategy, but we also help you to lead that thing through its execution, which is a, a distinction for us. Strategy without leadership always falls short. Yeah, yeah, very good. Interesting one. Uh, I got my, a favorite that I like to ask people like yourself who've uh, had lots of experience and been highly successful in their own lives. If I was to ask you for the one key ingredient you believe is necessary for a leader to be successful and stand out um, and be head and shoulders above the average, and that doesn't matter if it's business, organization, sport, what, what do you believe that key characteristic is? Is, is there one? Reframing the story. You have to be able to quickly reframe the story. Um, no matter what's happening to you, if you can't create an empowering meaning around it, you'll quit, you'll stop. And that fear will permeate when you're communicating with others. Right. A, a quick story, when I was, when I was uh, 10, we traveled down to San Diego to my aunt's house. She was a rich aunt, she had a pool. You know, us ghetto kids couldn't swim. We just loved going <laughs> to our aunt's house. 
And, and I had my Hot Wheels playing by the side of the car. So I'm an 80s baby, had my Hot Wheels and I threw oh, yeah. between my legs and it went into the deep end of the pool. And my dad came running up behind me and said, go get it. And I was like, go get it. I can't swim. Go get it. He picks me up and throws me in the pool, the deep end. I'm struggling for air. I'm thinking I'm going to die. Life flashing before me. I'm hollering and screaming. And, and I get to the edge, pull myself out. I'm crying. He says, come here. I'm definitely scared of my dad. So I walk over to him crying, picks me up and throws me in again. Oh. He did that at least five times. <laughs> when I got out of the pool, I was crying. I went to the side of the house. I, you know, I was, I was distraught. But five minutes later, I had an aha moment. Like, wait a minute. I didn't die. Wait a minute. I jumped in the deep end. Wait a minute. Ah, 10 minutes later, I was the only little kid playing in the deep end. Yep. The point is, if you don't have the capacity to reframe all of the issues and challenges that come at you as a leader, you will fail. Because when you practice your, let me rehearse your drama as something negative, it becomes trauma. Absolutely. Right? Drama mm. rehearsed becomes trauma. Yep. A great leader short circuits the skid because they can reframe the story and find an empowering meaning around what their experience is. And then they can communicate that not only to themselves to keep them going, but to others around them. Others as well. Yeah. That is a key ask skill. You, in looking back at that experience, was that the best way for you to have learned that lesson? Definitely not. Like <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine doing that to my kids. I'd probably be in jail right now. <laughs> but, but, I have tons of stories like that, that, and, and I have to be honest here, I, I didn't learn that skill. I naturally went to reframing as my go-to because I never felt like anything outside of me could help me. So I had to figure it out. Yeah. But I've been teaching leaders this skill set and, and helping them with tools to help them to reframe. And it's not that they don't have the skills to continue to only up. It's when things go bad that they quit, fall short, or they stay in the downward cycle far longer than they have to, destroying momentum. But Kathleen, 100%, there probably was a better way <laughs> to learn it. But I did learn it that way. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, goodness. Oh, well, I, I tell you, X, we can go on for probably another couple of hours. Yeah, unfortunately, we're running out now. <laughs> we are running out of time, but um, how can people contact you? Uh, two ways. Um, two ways. If you just want general information, go to our website, leadyourstory.com. But if you really want to dive into the idea of story for building an unstoppable brand or building culture as a leader, then I invite you to reach out in two ways. One, you can text me and join our Insider community where you'll get access to our free course. And that number is 800-425-2095. That's 800-425-2095. You'll automatically be added to that list. If you prefer not to be text and you want to join via email, you can go to launchmystory.com where we have our free story course, six videos, download of our UBS, which is our unifying brand story process that we use with our clients. Like nothing's held back. I give that all to you. Um, and it's, it's been impactful in many business leaders' lives. Excellent. I'll put all that on there. And in the introduction, thank you very much for that, Mr. Tony. Well, that yeah, was a, I really enjoyed hearing your stories and uh, uh, I don't feel too bad about some of the things I did to my kids now. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask. Yeah. I won't ask. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> Good. 
Oh, my goodness. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show today, X. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And I, I thank you all so much for tuning into our show. Once again, we so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep, keep those coming. And again, if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And until next time, bye-bye, everyone.